Welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games that you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today's show is on uh, Metroid Zero Mission, and my guest is Harrison Milfeld. Say hi, Harrison. Hello, America. How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> Harrison is an Infendo uh, writer and a co-host of Infendo Radio, and he's also a uh, dedicated St. Louis sports fan. How about that? Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> dedicated to the point where it's, uh, okay, well, obviously, we don't have baseball right now, so we're in the winter, so very kind of calm, right, well, calm right now, but this is the time, I'm a huge hockey fanatic, so for everybody who's not into, like, been living under a rock, the NHL's in a lockout at the moment, so I've just been hitting my head on the de- my own desk <laughs> repeatedly, and I'm a big NFL fan, but the thing is, my team is the St. Louis Rams, and, uh, Judging by this pod, the date of this recording, this podcast, they tied. Yes, <laughs> they tied with the San Francisco 49ers today. I yes, we're in an era today where you know NFL teams can possibly tie, which is very rarity. But yet NHL teams cannot do that right now. But that's wow. I, I don't even think the city of St. Louis even knows what a tie is right now when it comes to sporting events. It's yeah, like, oh, it's wow, weird. Is, is there like shootouts, something like that? <laughs> <laughs> It's the first time since uh, 2008, I think, uh, if, I, if the ESPN tweet I saw was right. Yeah, it um, was. And I think that, that was, uh, what was it, when Donovan McNabb was, was still with the Eagles, and he, he did not know that there were ties, even though he was actually part of a tie game that ever about a few years <laughs> earlier. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it's stupid, really, when you actually look at how the NFL kind of sets things up like that. It's like... Oh yeah, don't worry. They will score or whatever in the first drive or so. But yet you got somebody who's doing the rules, man. Like, what if they go to the end and they tie right now? <laughs> like, don't worry. That, that that happens rarely, whatever. But today was not the case. But today, I I really needed a lot of hard drinks pretty much after that game, yeah. thinking like, this is my life as a St. Louis Rams fan. So, but hey, we're also both uh, MU fans and uh, MU tried their best to tie yesterday, but uh, went to four overtimes in their football game and won. Yeah, so. it did. I mean, it's, and I, I said this to myself, well, well, I was working during the whole game, whatever, and I said to myself, I was talking to my coworkers, you know, most of my coworkers are like big hockey fans or, you know, big football fans, you know, good little group to talk with. I mean, there's usually that small group that likes soccer, but, you know, that's a different kind of category to get far into and i said to like my group like you know what if for some and this this is hypothetically speaking like if college football overtime and nhl playoff overtime somehow just mated and haven't had a baby it would be the most stressful yet (laughs) thing in the world i mean when i was actually part of like uh when the blues were playing the san jose sharks and last uh, stanley cup uh first round of the stanley cup playoffs I was at their game one, and it went straight into overtime. So basically, like, I was sitting with a couple, like, a friend of mine. And just the entire time, I'm sitting there just rocking back in my seat because, you know, it just seemed like every shot that went straight to goal, you're just sitting there just biting your tongue and holding your breath. Like, in that, and it's just like, 
there, there, there's no stoppage in time, whatever, because like when you actually have a game on TV, there's no commercial time. This it goes on unless there's a stoppage in time. That's right. But uh, I mean, enough of sports. I mean, obviously we we've got some. Uh, a lot of talk about, like, Metroid handhelds right now we have to actually talk about. I mean, one of probably my personal favorite, you know, Game Boy Advance games. That's right, yeah. Uh, so Metroid Zero Mission, uh, just to kind of give us the, the good overview and we can go from there. Uh, this was a GBA game, like Harrison said. Came out in February 9th of 2004. Made by Nintendo R&D 1, who uh, I'm at least a big fan of, and I'm sure Harrison is too, um, based on their previous work of Super Mario Land and the Wario series and Balloon Fight and just the most Nintendo franchises that don't have Mario in them, save for the Game Boy ones, it's it's Nintendo R and D one. Essentially, yeah, like when you look at like Nintendo R and D of what their you know, their body of work, I would list them up there as far as like, you know, developers say like Valve as far as like companies like, hey, they can't do they can't do any wrong. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I feel like as far as when, like how perfect in their uh, game development and how they put their development teams into actually making these games, like putting a game mechanic, like, okay, how can we build across this? And that's the thing that I really just got fascinated by, like, you know, Nintendo's R&D development companies, or well, development teams. It's mm-hmm. just so many of the industry's best people have worked in those areas, and, you know, some of you are there and then left, and... It's it, it's really amazing how they've actually done so well. It really it's just it's at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And and sadly they are they are no more. Well, not not in their current form at least. In two thousand five, I believe, uh, Satoru Iwata, the president of Nintendo, uh, combined Nintendo R and D one and R and D two into Nintendo SPD, which which basically kind of does their the same kind of things. Uh, and some of the people stayed on, and and some people left, but. Uh, they got a little bit of a shakeup, and now they're working on more portable kind of stuff. So they're in charge of like Rhythm Heaven, and are working on on lots of little smaller eShop things. Uh, so still kind of cool stuff, but none of the big the big names that you kind of saw with with Super Mario Land or Wario or Kid Icarus, those kind of things. It's more yeah, like you said, it's more of like combining all these groups together as far as just lumping everything. Well, not lumping, but just spreading everything out. I mean, uh, I think during that time. They Nintendo had opened up their uh, Tokyo development office there, which uh, they were responsible for. What was it like Donkey Kong Jungle Beat for the GameCube, and then later on the Super Mario Galaxy titles. So, uh, like it's that is that itself. Um, I mean, I, I don't blame Iwata actually trying to do something like that as far as like lump everything together. I mean, it's changing times as far as when it comes to development teams in Nintendo. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um. Let's see, other things about Metroid Zero Mission. It was directed and co-created by uh, Yoshio Sakamoto, uh, who got his start uh, making pixel art for the Game & Watch port, well, port in quotation marks of Donkey Kong, and then he also did pixel art for Donkey Kong Jr., uh, the arcade version. Wait, how how can you get a port of a Game & Watch title? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was just that little uh, two-button jump-over-a-barrel thing. I I haven't seen any video of how how Donkey Kong plays on a Game & Watch, but that'd be really cool to see. I I could just see, like, the dev company, like, okay, we don't really have much time to actually uh, make a really difference in this Game & Watch title. How can we do? Uh, Do the same thing? Gotcha. Basically. Uh, Fresh coat of paint? There we go. Done. Oh man, but those Game and Watch titles were kind of like those uh, Tiger Electronics things. I never had a Game and Watch, but that was kind of our U.S. equivalent. I, I, I 
as much fun as I had playing with those things, probably. I mean, I know when was on Jurassic Park came out, I had one of those, like, Tiger Electronics ones, and mm-hmm. just, I always found out how difficult they were at the age I was playing them, and, you know, so much fun they were. But now I look back, and I'm like, wow, if I could go back in time and tell my six, seven-year-old self, like, why did you waste 25 bucks on that thing that only has, like, A, five levels, you can get this done in ten minutes. Oh, wow, I'm done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How easily we were entertained. I remember I had a, a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers one, and then I had like a couple of pinball ones. I don't even like pinball that much, and I don't know why I'd want to play it on some Tiger Electronics thing that it was just so terrible. That awful I like pinball would be really difficult on that. It's just like the weight. Well, I I don't say they say frame rate on the frame rate <laughs> frame rate on a like a LCD screen Tiger Electronics toy. It's like, yeah. You just hit the ball. It's like, dit, dit, dit. Yeah, dit, it was a flipbook kind of thing. Yeah, basically, and it was terrible. And I, for some reason, played it all the time. Hey, <laughs> what, the, what they were designed for is like, hey, they kept you occupied. And then I, <laughs> at that time when those things were released, you, I think the general consensus in my like classroom was like, hey, the kids who had like that, uh, what was it, the Tiger R Zone? Not the R Zone, but the yeah, the R Zone little headset that they had that was like the same thing. But it was kind of a quasi-virtual boy little thing, but just really, really crappy graphics. Yeah. I mean, actually, I shouldn't even say graphics as far as for LCD screens. <laughs> Not really worthy for the title, but I would always say, like, wow, the rich kids would always have that. But in the end, you're just like, throw it out, you're done, you know, what is this piece of crap? Man, why are we doing a podcast on handheld games? We should be doing a podcast on, like, old, crazy 90s toys. That's you know that's what we need to do. You know what? We could just dedicate an entire, like, episode on, and I had a friend who did own this. We could actually do an uh, episode, well, it could be a three, two-hour episode dedicated on uh, TigersGame.com. Well, actually, no, GameCom, if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, which, my God. Which, fun fact for anybody on there, had a Metal Gear Solid title planned on that <laughs> big platform, but, you know, never did see the light of day. Oh, man. Ugh. And if you want to get nightmares, play the like a Duke Nukem, Duke Nukem version on there, and just hear the sound bites of Duke Nukem come out there. Oh, it will haunt you. Just really, really bad sound sound bites coming out to the point like, oh god. Oh man, I'm having so, there's such great flashbacks right now. I just want to go play some Crossfire and sing the song and oh yes. <laughs> you remember that like board game thing where you shot the metal balls and oh yeah. God little plastic like circular arena and i just remember the commercials were really really i hate using this word epic oh they were though that like that is the re that is the reason the word epic was made to describe those commercials everyone remembers the commercials very few people had them i i didn't have one until like my senior year of high school and i only had it i only got it because i saw it in a friend's uh bedroom when i was over playing halo and and I was like, oh, my God, you have Crossfire? He's like, yeah, I never play it anymore. Like, man, that, oh, I remember that commercial. He's like, yeah, you want it? <laughs> Hell yes, I want it. So now I just have. It's like, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with it. I'm certainly not going to play it against anybody. I'm sure it's terrible, but I own Crossfire now. <laughs> You know, like, when I'm watching those commercials, I just said to myself, like, when the kids come into this, like, virtual arena, I'm like, wow, this is getting really serious. And then the one thing <laughs> that 
looking back at it at my age, I say to myself, wow, these kids are just, like, the their mindset, I'm like, it's it's Lucas, it's Lucas from the Wizard, you know, like, the, like, the, like the point where, like, I has that, uh, you have that damn, that face, the point like, you know what, I love the power glove, it's so bad, oh, and, it's so in bad. this whole arena, I'm like, everything goes, like, <laughs> wow, is this to the death or not? God, and then, uh, God, it was a few years later, but then they had that TV show Beyblade with, like, the tops that uh, fought each other, and that was the same, it felt like the same kind of deal, and I just did not care. Like, the, the dream the dream had died by then. Oh, oh man. 90s commercial toys like that. I mean, the, I, 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 long, I long to go back to a day just like, hey, can I just spend an hour just watch, like, a Saturday morning cartoon kind of marathon and just, like, watch the commercials? That's it. That, so that, that's great. the thing that just takes me back. Especially so, video so game great. commercials, for instance. I mean, like, there once, like, you know, once YouTube kind of, like, got up to the point of, like, uh, mass popularity... Seeing all these different, like, you know, video game commercials come back into our life, just bringing back more nostalgia. I mean, ones I would always, like, I barely remember. I mean, I know how it ends and goes, but as far as, like, dialogue, that's where I was kind of missing into it. Like, a lot of the old Nintendo and Sega commercials during the early 90s, how very competitive they were against each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, it brought back a lot of memories for me as far as, like, you know, Back in like uh, when I was in elementary school, in the playgrounds where everybody just be arguing like, "Oh, you're a, you're a Sega owner, you're a Genesis owner, or a Super Nintendo owner." But I mean, back now it's silly. I, but it's just it, you, you just look back and be like, "You were put into these different factions, and yet these commercials are what these uh, these commercials are basically what satisfied satisfied you as far as like your own base." And Thankfully, today, we will not see that anymore because I think I would just jab, like, uh, stab myself with, like, a letter opener, probably, if I kept seeing those type of commercials again because I feel like, you know what, you can present your console without just saying, hey, it's better than this, but just tell me what your console does. Yeah, like, I, I don't think we need, I mean, we have we have Pepsi commercials now that do that, um, and I don't think we need to be doing that for video games anymore. Like, that was a cool time. That was great, and I know that I'll never forget like a couple of a uh, couple of Nintendo commercials when I was growing up. Uh, and weirdly enough, they both kind of have the same concept around them. Uh, one is the Game Boy Pocket commercial. You remember that one? It's, it's like a full size Game Boy that's on this like this super futuristic assembly line, but then it just gets smashed. And then it comes out as a Game Boy Pocket. Like, oh, because it's smaller. I see. You compacted it. And it was just, it was the coolest looking thing. And that's one of the only, that actually is the only Game Boy I don't own. I own every other single Game Boy in the Game Boy line, but not a Pocket. But that is the only commercial I remember. And then um, and then I also remember the Pokemon commercial, the original one, um, where Pikachu gets on the bus. Yeah. And, yeah, and then the bus driver gets off and, and throws them all into a trash compactor. And uh, then it comes out as a copy of Pokemon Blue. And he throws it in the machine, and now you're playing Pokemon. I, I remember that commercial about the bus driver just basically, like, you know, in this really creepy, you know, grinning face. He just says, Susie, like a trash compactor, just crushes the whole bus. He just is like, gotcha. I'm like, good. <laughs> Those poor Pokemon. Oh. No, but speaking of commercials, though, I mean, if we want to segue back into Metroid. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We probably should talk about that game I mean, at some point. If you point. want to talk about a victim of, like, you know, really good and somewhat okay marketing, I mean, like, here's Metroid. I mean, a, a, a game that tries so hard to the point, like, hey, 
game looks really good, you can should play whatever, yet it just doesn't sell so well. Not like saying it bombs, but it just it doesn't sell game busters. Right. I mean, I, I feel like to this point, whatever is like, I mean, Metroid as a series is the one that I love, well, out of all the video game franchises I've played since to the point where, you know, I would first pick up a controller, Metroid is like, you know, dear, like, you know, long and dear to my heart. And to this day, I will still put this up there as, like, probably my favorite video game series. I mean, Super Metroid was the one that got me hooked on the series originally, and then I kind of worked backwards, you know, going from Metroid, then figuring out that, like, oh, you know, Metroid 2 was in the Game Boy, one of that. And and at the time when I actually started playing it, though, it was really hard for me because I had to wait, what was it, uh, yeah, eight years for another Metroid game to actually come to me, as well, <laughs> to come to the masses. That itself, for when I was, like, eight years old or so was really tough and then it's like oh wow I'm 15 16 right now and I finally have this right now I mean like way to the weight I mean it's now when you're older you have a little bit more patience I mean for instance still waiting for Half-Life 3 but let's push that out yeah and (laughs) yeah no 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 I uh, but um it's there's a certain aspect to like you know Metroid just really grabbed me it's you know it's as the fact I mean the most obvious was like you know what you're alone you're alone in this whole little, like, uh, planetary area just trying to, you know, basically being the own, only hope of, like, defeating, like, different antagonists in the entire game. And that alone is just, I mean, no pun intended, but, but that alone, it was the whole exploration aspect that I really enjoyed to it, and I feel like that's not even appreciated today. I mean, anytime when you actually have a game that involves tr- backtracking, that's always, it's, it seems like that's brought up in a couple bit of reviews or even from my own friends, like, oh wow, there's only back, you have to go back and backtracking, you know, go to these different areas and use these different items, like, what are you talking about? That's the best thing about it. I mean, you, you have that aha moment where you're like, oh, I can't go in this area or I can't use a certain item for, to get me across this ledge. That's itself gave me, you know, made me appreciate the Metroid series so much, and yet, I feel like it's gone through itself, its own little identity crisis, you know, for better and for worse. Right, I mean, well, we had all these 2D Metroid games up until the first Prime, uh, and they had their own unique style, but I I think it was probably, probably getting a little stale, which is why we didn't get a Metroid game for the, for the Nintendo 64, right? Um, after Super Metroid, that that kind of was the pinnacle. What do you what do you do after that? Yeah, I mean, like I remember when, um, well, I was a subscriber for like you know Nintendo Power, and they would always list as far as upcoming games, like you no know, Metroid Six and Four on there, and you know I'd just be getting so excited for it, but it never came to be. And but Shigeru Miyamoto was actually quoted at one point uh, was quoted I think uh, right in the middle of like uh, right no actually right before. Metroid Prime was in development. They, um, Shigeru Miyamoto mentioned, like, you know what, and I'm paraphrasing on this one, saying how, like, you know, they had concrete ideas, they never really had any concrete ideas how, you know, a Metroid game would work in 3D as far as the N64. And, you know, as far as the ideas that they were trying to put forward, they just never really had enough time to actually put it on the whole console, which I believe, in hindsight, was a good decision because... I don't think if you would have actually put the ideas of a first-person, like, a Metroid on a 64, it wouldn't have worked, but also I don't think feel like a third-person view for a Metroid game would not have worked as well. I mean, there's a certain series like Zelda Mario that transitions so well into, like, the 
when you see in 2D, for, like, when you see as far as a 2D sprite, and you see go into the 3D world, you know, like, okay, this can enter really well as far as, like, a good transition. And I think they just didn't see that with Metroid at first. They knew that they had to, like, cut some corners and find a way, like, okay, how are we going to do this without being a colossal fa- failure? Right. And and I think Nintendo had that struggle with a lot of Nintendo 64 games. Like we, we mentioned that Mario and Zelda both had, had good transitions, but then you get something like Donkey Kong that, that might not have been as good um, as those previous games. Uh, I, I know there was a lot of... Um, I actually never played Donkey Kong 64, but from what I from what I hear and read, it seems like it's kind of like maybe like a Banjo Kazooie a little bit, where there's it's, that collection aspect. Yeah, it, it's it's essentially that. Whatever I mean, you have the basic like you know like it's it's good as far as like platforming aspects, but it has that tried and true rare like collectathon uh, gameplay, and yeah. It, that's what turned me off for that whenever, like, that when that game was first released, because I couldn't tell myself, like, okay, was I playing Banjo-Kazooie or, you know, a new Donkey Kong game? Mm-hmm. And and even with something like Kirby, Kirby is still stuck in 2D, and they haven't even tried to, to make that transition. You see, I think, like, that's one that, I, that it, I'm fine with it staying in its roots that way. I mean... For, that, I feel like Kirby's the one that actually, as far as the series, is known to actually kind of spread out more as far as its main series. Like, you know, for instance, uh, Kirby Mass Attack and Kirby's Epic Yarn and, of course, the usual main series Kirby's games. Like, you know, the most recent Wii game, like uh, Kirby's Return from Dreamland. You know, those three different gameplay styles, yeah, maybe similar, but they actually know actually kind of spread out as far as, like, game, well, gameplay and, uh, like, art style. So... Right, they're they're innovating. They're innovating within the two D framework instead of instead of trying to go outside and see what they can do in three D, which I can applaud. Like things like Canvas Curse was was an awesome way to show off the, what the DS was capable of, as well as giving you a, a really fun game in the process. Um, and I, I think Nintendo's done well by Kirby standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> let's let's again uh, get back on track to Metroid. Yeah, I think um, we've actually uh, derailed for a little bit. <laughs> um, so, so we haven't really mentioned Zero Mission is a remake of the original Metroid, um, and, which is the first game in the Metroid series chronologically. Uh, this actually replaces the story of the first game because they they did make a few changes, uh, most notably just uh, an ending sequence uh, that we'll we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but how this whole thing came to be, uh, after finishing work on 2002's Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance, uh, one of the few, one of uh, the developers for Fusion was talking to Sakamoto uh, about maybe porting Super Metroid to the GBA, since that seems to be the like the high watermark for for Metroid games. And, and Sakamoto kind of liked that idea, but but he liked the idea better to just remake the first game instead. He he wanted to. Uh, show people who might have just started the Metroid series with Fusion. Uh, he wanted to show them the series' roots and, and where the series came from. And and that was probably a, a good plan. I'm, and I'm guessing that was because there'd been that big gap between Super Metroid and, and Metroid Fusion. Uh, I'm not sure when Prime came out, but it was pretty close since Metroid Fusion and Prime had seen... It was actually seen... the same game. Okay. Because I, I remember they had connectivity. So for me, when that, those two games came out, 
it was wall apocalypse for me. So I, I, <laughs> like, I was really, I mean, not only like waiting so long, you're like, you're getting two Metroid titles on there. I mean, that itself is more satisfying to the fact like, oh, you're getting one game after an eight-year wait. You're getting two. So, yeah. Um, and I was actually one actually wondering, once the when I, I got my Game Boy Advance when, after saving, yeah, I, I literally saved pennies up for getting my Game Boy Advance. And at the time, I thought this was probably one of my favorite, I mean, probably one of the better things to come out to either bought. And one of the first games I thought as far as porting on there after I got, what was it, Super Mario World on there, was Super Metroid. And a couple of magazines have hinted that they were going to put that on there, but I think one thing that they really don't want to sacrifice on there that I think a lot of different uh, Super Nintendo games actually like, you know, get bad in transition was, one, soundtrack, and two, I believe sprite can't, well, you know, graphical can't, like, uh, just as far as transition, as far as graphics on there, because... Mm-hmm. When you're transitioning something as far as a small screen on there, you're not putting up as far as, like, the bigger capabilities of what you put on a Super Nintendo at the time on a TV screen. And plus, I would hate to actually see the soundtrack of Super Metroid, you know, be dumbed down on the TVA, so I could applaud for them on that one. But, you know what, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have minded as well. <laughs> Do you know if there was any Mode 7 in uh, Super Metroid, or did that come later? Um... Because I know that's been a real problem. Uh, things like Yoshi's Island didn't transition well when, when it got ported to GBA, uh, and Mode 7 was kind of one of the big problems with that. That actually just brings me up a... Well... Yeah, not really. I mean, no, no. There really weren't any, uh, like, uh, particular scenes as far as, like, you know, displaying, like, you know, wide-range graphics with Mode 7. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing I know that could be really big trouble was... Uh, the original F-Zero being ported, but once the GBA released, they had F-Zero maximum velocity, and I think that did fine on there, but as far as, like, graphical capabilities, it was, you know, not on par with the original Super Nintendo game. Right. um, I I don't think it was, but what Sakamoto, like, you know, Sakamoto wanted to do was, I think they really just didn't want to go the route, like, okay, let's just port something over there. I think they wanted to challenge something else, like, you know, get... Because once these two Metroid games were released back in 2002, it re I mean, with that eight-year gap, there were a lot of people who really did not know about the whole Metroid series. So you've had Prime, which was the big header game, whatever, for like your home consoles to actually drive the sales. And then, of course, you had, you know, Fusion, which, of course, with, uh, like, uh, GBAs out there, it was still selling, like, hotcakes. So you have that as, as well to actually advertise in. I think what they wanted to do, though, was they wanted to bring back the first game to actually, you know, reintroduce people into the story a little bit more. Because, you know, obviously the hardcore Metroid followers were the ones who were going to be buying those games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and Zero Mission had that, had that good opportunity that you're going to get those hardcore fans to buy it anyway, because when you show... Well, one, it's a new Metroid game. Even if it's an old Metroid game, it's it's another game that they can buy. And then for for these newer fans who played a Fusion or played Prime and and enjoyed it, they they can now get that idea of seeing where Samus came from and and what's what's her story. Even though I don't know if Metroid Zero Mission or the original Metroid really has a whole lot of backstory for for Samus. It is it is nice to see her first adventure, but. It doesn't, I mean, um, well, with Fusion, you're given, like, uh, one thing that was not really, uh, 
probably, like, you know, it kind of set a precedent as far as, like, you know, telling the story through, like, you know, different sort of cutscenes, but stuff that's not really, like, thrown into your face. Most of the cutscenes, like, uh, or story developments during Fusion were, like, you know, during elevator sequences, whereas within, uh, whereas with, uh, like, uh, Zero Mission, the only piece of, like, good dialogue you get, whatever, as far as, like, you know, text, is in the beginning, which is just a straightforward telling as far as, like, a Samus of what she's on the planet, what to do, and the only other bit of cutscenes are once you're in those little elevator sequences going from different areas, they're, what was it, ones are either, like, uh, shows from Turian where Mother Brain is awakening, or the others are when Ridley is coming onto the planet. Those are the only kind of things that are coming into it, because I feel like they, the developers learn, well, honestly, learn, they wanted to get away as far as, like, shoving so much story into the face of, like, the uh, Zero Mission, but still tell a simple story like, hey, you're on this planet, you're alone, you're supposed to stop this uh, organization from, like, unleashing this large mass attack, like, a biological weapon upon, the, like, the universe. I think that's what they got their point around there, and what itself was, like, hey, this was the first game of the Metroid series, but remade. I'm I'm forgetting if they actually had any story set up um, before the game starts, but I, I know that there is some story set up, um, and maybe it was just something that was in a, a manual somewhere. But the idea is that um, the uh, the Galactic Federation police tried to make this big assault uh, on on Planet Zebase where you are. I pronounce that right? I've never actually heard it in real life. It is actually pretty, um, for the longest time. I thought it was Zebus up till. Uh once other M came out, when uh, Sakamoto actually, well, throughout the advertisement, the, the right pronunciation is uh, Zebus. Okay. Yeah, and uh, after hearing that, I was like, you know what, I actually pre- prefer the other pronunciation, but that's just me nitpicking, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand completely. Um, but, but the idea is that these space pirates who, uh, these space pirates stole uh, samples of these Metroids uh, and then are trying to get them to breed so they can create a biological army to then do whatever the hell they want. Um, and and the Galactic Federation tried to do a, a full assault on Zebus to to stop them, and that didn't work. So now they hired the best bounty hunter in the world, or in the galaxy, uh, which happens to be Samus, uh, to go in alone, go and destroy Mother Brain, and make sure none of these Metroids come out and, uh, you know, wreak havoc. And I guess that's kind of all the story you need uh, for for one of these games. I don't remember if they actually mention any of that before before the game starts, though. It's well, uh, well, as far as zero mission, okay. Once you boot up the game, it's just kind of like short little sentences, whatever, saying uh, like mission: go to Planet Zebus to eradicate all Metroids and stop the mechanical organism Mother Brain. And it was like short little, uh, what is it? A uh, little art pieces on there, like, to describe things that are going on, and yeah, that was all you had on there. I mean, not to say it was bad in any, like, a sense, whatever, it's just the fact that I think what the developers said, like, hey, you know, there wasn't really much of a story, I mean, there's a big story as far as to unravel with the original, but let's not try to, like, you know, stretch this out too much, but I mean, all the other nods you probably see on there, like, the hardcore fans would probably see. I mean, getting getting more, like, later on to the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, well, uh, the reason we got this game so quickly, only two years after Fusion came out, was because this was this uh, Zero Mission was built on the same engine as Fusion. It was a slightly rebuilt engine, but um, the graphics were actually made to look slightly more like Super Metroid, uh, just to give that kind of nod back to those fans who, who really enjoyed that game eight years before, um, or ten years before. Um, this was actually the... Huh? Wow, that was actually the... Wow, it's been that long. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was that was good too. And I'm I'm sure they probably timed it a little bit for that. It, that Super Metroid's 10th anniversary for Metroid Zero Mission to come out that makes some sense. Um, I don't remember if there was any fanfare for that, but uh, I'm sure it got mentioned. Um, this was actually an interesting bit of trivia. That this is the first time that two Metroid games were released on the same platform. Uh, we had Metroid on the NES and uh, Metroid 2 Return of Samus on the on the Game Boy and Super Metroid for the SNES uh, and the GBA is the first time we got two. And then we'd later get that with, with Metroid Prime 2. Um, those were both on the GameCube. Right? Yes, it okay. is. Um, well, yeah, because I mean, uh, at this time, whatever, I think it was like the really uh, big uh, explosion of Metroid games and now we're kind of a dearth of it at this, moment, at this time. So, uh, I, I, I had to feel myself, like, once the, what was it, with uh, Prime, Prime 1, 2, and then 3, and then you had Zero Mission and Fusion, I feel a little spoiled, I mean, as a fan, I was really spoiled, and then you kind of realize, like, through the whole economic business, the business of it, like, yeah, we're not getting that many anymore, but um, one thing I actually liked a little bit more, I mean, not to talk too much more about Fusion, was... um. One thing, I mean, one thing, okay, one thing I did enjoy about Fusion, though, was, um, obviously, you know, giving a bigger return to, you know, a 2D Metroid that I long and grew grew up with, but, um, one, it didn't try too hard to be, like, Super Metroid. That was one thing I liked about it. I mean, and as, what I mean by that was trying to recopy as far as, like, you know, different sequence after sequence, like, okay, beginning we have to have a, uh, escape sequence, oh, we have to have this tragedy event in the middle, and yada, 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 but things with it, whatever, it, it just kind of screened pretty well, but I mean, I know a lot of people were, liked it, but as far as Metroid purists, were pretty much turned on by knowing where to go, uh, in what certain, like, you know, being told which areas to go to, because that's kind of goes into Metroid conventions, which is like, hey, you've dropped in this area, and you have a map, and just go from room to room, find either, like, hidden blocks or hidden walls or whatever doors that you have to use as far as, like, what weapons can access it from this area, which is the, like, you know, try-and-true Metroid method. And, but transitioning from, like, like Zero Mission, though, like you said, it was a far more, like, a, you know, a better, like, a graphical system, whatever, uh, well, the only system that they put into this game. I mean, the game itself, like, compared from Fusion and Zero Mission, Zero Mission looks better on paper. Yeah, like, yeah, better than Fusion. And I will say, as far as, like, the, the sound department, this is one thing I like that the GBA version, well, well that uh, Zero Mission did a lot better. It was they upped their sound card a little bit more and, you know, made the music a little bit more, I wouldn't say memorable, but, you know, sounding so much better. To the point, whatever. I mean, I felt like there were so many different tracks in Fusion that I felt like that came out really flat. Yeah. Uh, so getting into kind of the more stuff about Zero Mission here, the, the I mean, being a remake, the the challenge is how much do you 
do you actually remake the game uh, verbatim? Uh, that's not the right phrasing, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and then how much how much new stuff do you bring? I, we have we have all this updated technology. Yes, yes, we should bring the graphics up. Yes, we should actually include a map now. The original Metroid didn't have a map, and it's one of the reasons I really don't enjoy playing that game at all. Oh. My, my, my days of actually playing that game, I remember I had graph paper. Like, <laughs> no, I literally had graph I had graph paper mapping out because uh, at the time I did not have a subscription of Nintendo Power like or the older versions because those that was one thing like for anybody who had a subscription to Nintendo Power, if you had like areas that you knew you did not actually well you had no clue about, that's your go to thing you went to and once you open up like those first issues in Nintendo Power. Opening up, I mean, as a kid, you look at that map of, like, you know, a planet Zeb- a planet Zebus, and you're like, wow, I felt like a rat in a maze. I mean, that <laughs> can, I felt like a rat in a maze in that. Yeah. And uh, I would use, uh, here's two things that actually was bad about it, was uh, I would, like I said, I used graph paper to map out where I was going, and it worked half, half the time, you know, I just didn't really know where I was going, but... Uh, one thing about it, whatever, which Metroid was famous for, was the password system. And for those who don't know, Metroid was one of the first few games actually to implement a password system to, you know, load a certain portion of the game, whatever, as far as, like, you know, leaving your console on. And in the case of this, I would always, like, the, the password numbers were mm, 20 digits or so, so uh, I would have about, when I first played the game, though, I would have, like, about loads and loads of papers with different codes. So basically, like, I, when I was come back from, like, you know, elementary school, like, okay, I'm ready to play. Like, is this it? Is this it? Nope. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? <laughs> it was really frustrating. It was. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sad to say I've I've never had the experience of, of making a map with graph paper. Uh, I always feel like that's one of the things that I've missed out in, in my gaming time. I, well, the reason why I enjoyed making it through graph, though, is, like, as a little kid, um, one thing I got really interested in was um, cartography. Mm-hmm. Like, like as a kid, like, I was, like, you know, a really big fan of, like, you know, J.R.L. Tolkien's, like, you know, uh, maps, what he did for Middle Earth. And as a big sci-fi fan, like, growing up with, like, Star Wars, Star Trek, and, you know, uh, even the X-Files, I mean, and not to say this actually pertains to X-Files, but, I mean, just... J.R.R. Tolkien's, like, maps really kind of inspired me to, like, you know, as a little hobby I did, you know, when I always get my work done in elementary or whatever and I had free time, I would just grab a little piece of paper or graph paper and i just draw little fake imaginary maps of, like, different worlds that I would make up. And once I was actually to get the original Metroid in, it kind of came as second nature just to, you know, making these maps on there. I mean, obviously... It was hard for me to find, like, where certain areas were. Well, not areas, but certain items were. But just making them kind of came with ease for me because as a kid, I mean, like, one thing I would always, like, like draw these different maps was I wanted my imagination to kind of go that extra step. And plus I felt as a kid, like, a kid, I'm like, you know, I, I kind of want to put this into a career. Obviously that was not the case because I went with a journalism career later <laughs> on. But, I mean... I, I had these things of maps and maps and maps of, like, these different areas and just, like, made little storylines out of it, and they were gone, you know, later on. <laughs> so how, how detailed were these maps? Do you remember? Like, did you actually put what kind of enemies were in there or the, the types of doors that you needed? Like, if a door ne- required a missile uh, to get through, did, would you mark that somehow? 
as in the Metroid ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, I did not really draw them as far as detail. I mean, my brother helped me out, try, like, trying to draw these things out, but uh, we never really actually put, like, okay, there's a door that you use for super missiles, or there's doors for just regular missiles, or um, there's ones you have to use to traverse through, like, the Morph Ball. We didn't do that because, um, I don't know, we just really weren't that as far as detail as on that one. I mean, I guess we just weren't really smart enough for the curve on that, but uh, um, it was more than that to the point where, like, hey, if we're going to not backtrack, like, not to backtrack too uh, too much as far as the game, because there were so many different points where we did not know where we were going, where we were going to the same area, like, okay, what are we missing? And right. you realize, oh, you're supposed to go up certain amount of, like, uh, length up in this corridor or this shaft. Yeah, I mean, the few times I've I've actually played it, and I, I never, I've never owned the NES version, but uh, playing it through the ambassador system on my 3DS or, or in other means, um, I, <laughs> since I've had no graph paper and I've had no, uh, experience with this game before, I just, I would run to the right as far as I could, and then I would go up or down, and I would just keep going as many, as many times as I could until I got to the end, and that's, that's a terrible way to do it, because I would always get lost and never know where my bread come trail. I, since you didn't have anything like that, uh, I'd just get lost. <laughs> no, I will say, though, this is, I mean, as revolutionary as the game was at the time it's released, it hasn't really aged well. I mean, it's not like a game like, you know, uh, Super Mario Brothers or Legend of Zelda where it's timeless. I mean, this is not to say it's bad at this point, whatever, it just doesn't have that same feel as, like, uh when it was first released. At this point, whatever, I mean, going back to it, I mean, you kind of see its flaws. Like, okay, you know, a pause menu with a map system would have probably easily worked this time if they would actually put more time into it. Um, that or... Uh, or even something like Zelda, because Zelda didn't have a real map. It had a dot on a on a rectangle, and it just kind of showed your position relative to the entire the entire world that still was just a gray box. But even even something like that in Metroid might have been helpful. It, it would have it would have helped me at least. It is. Uh, I think with the well in the fact that um like Zelda though you see on your plane a lot more as opposed to than Metroid. Mm-hmm. I mean, whereas you're just going um left to right, but in the case of like, you know, Zelda you're going all left, right, up, down. So uh there's a little bit more to actually, you know, explore as far as that. But I mean, even looking back at Zelda, I think, like, who was probably that first person to realize, you know, when you're in the Lost Woods, like, oh, you have to go a certain pattern to actually get out of there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's, uh, I wonder who was, like, sitting at some, like, round table, like, God, I can't get out of this, whatever. It's like, oh, you just got to go, like, left, up, down, whatever. It's like, how did you do <laughs> that? Yeah, because, I mean, they've, they've tried some things like that in, in future Zelda games. Uh, uh, episode 2, I believe, was where we talked about um, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. I believe it's Seasons? Seasons that has some kind of lost fairy woods. Um, but they give you they give you hints, like, where a stump goes, or, like, having a rock on a certain thing tells you that's the direction you need to go. And And if you didn't know that, I mean, it's not something you would specifically know as soon as you got there. But by playing it a little bit and, and finding out, uh, you kind of get that little bit of emergent experience there where you go, oh, well, that's where the stump is, and the stump is telling me that I need to go right now. I just had to pay attention a little bit more. 
that's one thing I actually missed about light games back then. I mean, um, whereas now you have so many tutorials telling you where to point where you are, you never really have those aha moments anymore. Well, you have them still in certain Zelda, like, you know, Zelda titles right now, but you just really don't have that, uh, oh, I get it kind of moment. Yeah, I, I feel like there are a ton of games right now that give you a square peg, and then you go, oh, well, there's a square hole, and that's not really an aha moment. That's putting a square peg in a square hole. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so when we're talking about the differences between between Zero Mission and that original Metroid game, we've gone over Metroid uh, pretty pretty well. Um, what I Since I've never really played much of the first one, and I'm assuming you have, being that you have been talking about all these maps and things. Um, all, all, all these very detailed graphs. Like, <laughs> it's like, why did you do that? <laughs> so so what are really the differences for somebody who, like a layman as me who who doesn't really know the differences? Well, with the case of Zero Suit uh, Samus, um, this with Zero Suit, well, with Zero Mission, uh, was, it was first introduced in this because as opposed to, like, you know, for the first Metroid, like the first Metroid right now, going in, you know, blind, you didn't know who this character was as far as Samus. You didn't know if it was, like, human or robot, but even if you did know the human, I think it was general consent, like, general consensus was like, okay, this is a guy. In in the manual, it actually says him. Yeah, and him, and which was actually brilliant marketing by Nintendo, by the way. Well, brilliant way of doing hiding this by Nintendo. Which, right. Yeah, well, I mean, Nintendo of America. In in Japan, they they have gender neutral pronouns, so they they got past that with that. So it was Nintendo of America's localization team that that actually had to go in and go, oh right, this is something we need to make sure we we hide and cover up. So let's just call him a man, and players can find out in the end. Mm. Yeah, and like I never knew that as far as like Japanese terms like that, like you have gender like uh, generalist like pronouns. Well, hey, my my two semesters of Japanese in college, which went terribly. Uh, at you, least you're you're not the only one. I, I had a good friend who took like a semester of it, whatever. And uh, I think near the end, I was coming up to his final. I said, uh, "So how are you doing, Japanese?" The opposite of good. Yep, <laughs> that was no, um, that was a rough class. <laughs> No, in the uh, the case of like you know uh, Samus and uh, in Metroid, obviously at the end it's revealed that you know Samus is a woman. And in the case of this, though, I think the best way to pronounce it, like as far as differences, but oh, like uh, in the game, like I mentioned, when you have a password, there's a password system. One of the codes to actually famous codes in there was called Justin Bailey. And fun bit of trivia: what does that mean exactly? I mean. Most people would say, like, okay, who is Justin Bailey as far as the name? The game, the, the name itself, well, the name of the password actually refers to a um, Japanese, well, not Japanese, but Australian uh, slang term, which is called Just In Bailey, which translates to, you know, just in a swimsuit, which essentially what Samus is when you enter the password into it, which is just Samus in this kind of like a single piece, like you know, this one-piece swimsuit. Well, mm-hmm. or leotard or whatever, or a suit that actually, you know, goes under as far as her suit. And, you know, you would play that game with her without the suit on, but with all the abilities that you've earned throughout the entire game. Now, to cross-compare whatever, as far as, like, you know, Zero Mission is, this is one of the new things as far as to introduce, because going in, well, before, yeah, like, I believe before Metroid or so, well, Metroid Zero Mission, it was kind of assumed based on, like, you know, general consensus by fans, like, okay... This is a suit that Samus just takes off periodically, you know, like you've seen in different scenes, like, you know, well, 
scenes as far as like ending cuts, like ending scenes of uh, when the game is over for uh, the credits where Samus takes her helmet off and reveals her face, and you just seem like, okay, this suit is pretty hard to take off, but it's not revealed, I guess, until it's zero mission that the suit is just, goes by the name of, like, it's a power suit, so it's one entity that can be materialized in, like, on or off as far as Samus, based on her own emotions or by command. And the zero suit, I think, is just to amplify as far as, like, this is what Samus wears underneath the power suit itself. And... I th- yeah, that, that's all I could give to it. <laughs> sure. Uh, if I could get just slightly nerdy for a second. Sure. Um, I was reading some Metroid Wiki stuff just in preparation and was reading specifically about the, the Justin Bailey code. And another theory that people have is that um, the the actual codes that Metroid works off of has, um, has, has these weird variable things, so it really... The Justin Bailey thing really, the theory is that it has no significance. Maybe just somebody put it in as their name and it worked because it's Justin Bailey and then a bunch of dashes. Like you mentioned, there's it's a twenty, it's a twenty digit password. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Um, but the the idea is that when you when you put in these different things, that they will they will change the variables. So Justin Bailey gives you like 255 missiles. And, and puts you in uh, a place... I don't know if it starts you out um, at the beginning or if it puts you in Brinstar or, or somewhere, because there, there are other codes that you can put in, and I don't remember any of the other codes that they mention as examples, but other codes you can put in to, to, have, uh, Metro, to have Samus in, the, in her uh, Justin Bailey suit, but at the beginning of the game and with none of the stuff, none of the, uh, the items or anything like that, or there's codes to put Samus in her in her power suit in different parts of the game starting out. Um, so another theory is just that it's kind of maybe an accident, but the Justin Bailey thing got spread virally um, through people and then possibly like a magazine or something that really got a lot that's, of steam. Yeah, that's where I first like, heard of it, whatever. That's where I initially first heard of it. And like when I initially heard where the term like originated from, like when it was a... Uh, like, I just found, like, wow, you Australians, you have really nice, interesting things, like, as far as slang terms. I, I congratulate for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, we were talking about, we talked mentioned before that uh, because Prime and Fusion came out at the same time, Sakamoto was able to put in some connectivity between Fusion and Prime. Um, they were thinking about putting in some kind of connectivity for Fusion and Prime 2, but because Prime 2 was, was taking a little longer and was going to end up um, having the, too much of a gap, and they were also kind of under a bit of a crunch with, with Zero Mission trying to get it out um, during the 10th anniversary of, of Super Metroid, um, they, they weren't able to fit in any connectivity between those two games. But they did throw in some connectivity between Fusion and Zero Mission. Um, there was a, there was a gallery showcasing a lot of images from, from Samus, uh, of Samus, uh, in Fusion, but those were only in the Japanese version of Fusion. So when you connected Zero Mission to Fusion, you got those, you got that gallery, so U.S. people could see that for the first time. Um, and it kind of, it told a little bit of her backstory, uh, and gave you, uh, let me just read off, uh, what I have from the wiki here, uh, also images of... Her past are displayed graphically, telling her story from the raid of 
K-2L, her home planet, which is a really catchy name, uh, and to her training with the, is it Chozo or Kozo? Chozo. Okay. Is, uh, yeah, it is Chozo. All right. Um, so it shows off some of her training with that, too. Um, so that's kind of, I, I mean, I always like it when, when developers will put in little things that reward players who, who've purchased multiple titles of theirs. Yeah, I mean, no, like, when I, one thing I liked about when uh, Fusion and the first Prime were released, whatever, like, uh, for those who remember, like, the, uh, was it the Game Boy Advance and, you know, GameCube, like, connectivity that Nintendo tried to pass on for a while, but <laughs> never really caught on. One of it was, uh, uh, if you would, uh, beat, I think it was, like, yeah, if you beat Fusion, or, I, I think it was, or beat Prime, or vice versa, or whatever, is, uh, if you connect the game with the game in the Game Boy Advance up to, like, uh, your GameCube with Prime on there, you would unlock, um, the Fusion suit in, like, in Metroid Prime. That, and you also unlock, I think, uh, the original Metroid as well. So, that was one thing I actually liked about it, is that was one thing I really found in, a, in an era where I did not get a bunch of, D, like, I was, did not know what DLC was, that itself was cool to me, whatever. I mean, to actually kind of do a different playthrough of the different skin. And, I never did unlock all the endings to uh, Metroid Fusion. I mean, this was at the time whenever when um, few, like uh, Metroid games switched away from like, okay, you will uh, unlock the best ending if you finish this game by, uh, or was it like a certain amount of time? Whereas now it's like, okay, you have to collect all these different items to get the best ending. Which I mean, for a you know a completionist. Yeah, you like that a lot. I mean, but, I mean, one thing that really I liked so much about Metroid when I revisited is I like to do speedrunning. And, of course, you know, Super Metroid has been known as, like, the one game to actually inspire, you know, the art of speedrunning. And I, uh, I just never really, uh, I don't know, I, I, I kind of ticked me off a little bit knowing that I had to get ending based on, like, items as far as, like, okay trying not, well, obviously I was not trying to finish the game as fast as I could, it just, hey, if I finished it once, I realized, oh, if I finish this game, you know, as quickly as possible, I'll go back to it, I mean, it's always that once you finish it once, and you go back and you realize where everything is, it's just, with the case of, like, trying to find the items, I just never really got into it, but, I mean, as I say, with the different endings of Fusion, I, uh, I never did get any of them, but once I beat, uh, Zero Mission, both on, like, you know, normal and hard difficulty, I unlocked all those different, like, uh, endings, and one thing is, once I was going through them, I mean, yeah, it told, like, these different pieces of, like, you know, Samus's history, you know, that were either mentioned, like, through the manuals of the games, or through the, you know, Metroid Japanese Magna, which was released about a few years, like, about five, six years, six years ago, but has been known as to be really good canon, and I, uh, I like those pieces. I'm like, I mean, it, it really just, not to say it flushed out my character, like the character I love so much, but it really was nice to see stuff that, like, endings like that to actually show, like, okay, this is where her past is. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of those those different endings of Zero Mission, uh, again, I'm, I was just reading some of the wiki stuff to, to get acquainted with it, since uh, I only beat this game once. And uh, I I would find it hard since it's not my style of game uh, to go back and I I really don't like being under pressure with time things like that um, which is the reason I like Pikmin two much more than Pikmin one 
But hey, I, I'm the same way. Whatever. I mean, I love pick. I love the first Pikmin. I at the time I thought it was a very innovative, a nice little original piece that Shigeru Miyamoto put out. But it's one big flaw to it was it was too short. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with Zero Mission, uh, and I could be wrong here, or it could have been a typo, or, or something happened. So so correct me if I'm wrong, or the the wiki's wrong, but. It had it had the the time limits that you could get different endings with time limits. Um, there was also some collection stuff that if you'd gotten 100 percent of the items and got the the 100 percent complete, then you'd get like some other endings um, that also worked into the time. So if you had under so many hours with 100 percent completion, you'd get a better ending than uh, than so many than fewer hours but less completion. Um, I think, no, I think you may be right on that one. I, I mean, um, yeah, you are. You are. I believe you are right on that. Okay. But I think the ultimate ending is supposed to be if you get, if you are able to beat the game in, uh, I think it might be under two hours, and you only have 15% of the, the items unlocked. Because then you'd have to do some real, uh, I mean, the term the term is sequence sequence breaking or sequence... Yeah, as far as, like, you know, breaking the game, kind of like one thing would, for an example, is, like, through Super Metroid, which was uh, wall jumping, for instance, which was a very popular game-breaking mechanic that people would use to get to certain areas that Samus couldn't do, like, uh, areas that she couldn't even reach as far as, like, you know, without a high jump, but yet you would just use a wall cling, or not wall cling, but just a game-breaking wall jump, which a lot of speedrunners would do. Mm Mm-hmm. I actually watched a full zero mission speed run just to see, uh, just to see kind of the stuff that would happen. I, I watched one that was just uh, beating the game as fast as you could, uh, not worrying about completion uh, or anything like that, uh, or the percentage of completion. And it was just, it was a sight to behold watching this person who obviously had played this game so many times, shooting shooting wall pieces that that I would have just walked right by and not even thought about. And and putting putting bombs in places and seeing just how how the developers of this game had to make a world had almost like they made two worlds like here's the here's the world that regular people will play and maybe they'll find a couple things going through this game like they'll accidentally shoot at a at a wall and it will explode and, and open up a new area but they're for the main part they're going to be playing on the on the right path. But to watch somebody just do all of the secret stuff and and get through huge portions of the game and fight Ridley before they fight Kraid and and just because the the way they're jumping around the map that was that was a sight to behold and and it really was I mean I can't do speed runs uh, I just it, the whole concept of it freaks me out that that you could play a game that many times and get so good at a single game like that to, to be it, able to play it, it in time. It freaks you out. It's intimidating because I I tried to attempt doing one for, like, Super Metroid, just as, like, you know, for the SMGs for a while. I was like, okay, I'll do this, whatever. And about five minutes in, knowing for all the videos I did, I realized, yeah, I'm, like, ten minutes behind right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think I've actually attempted a, a run where I kept time. I know that I like today. I played Halo Two in in five hours, um, and if I go and looked at what a speed run of Halo Two was, I'm sure it would be something like in the in the three hour range, and I would just be dejected that man. I felt like I get, I went through that game really fast, and 
I could not do that. Or or just the idea that if I if I did run it and was only a couple minutes off, that I feel like I wasted that whole time since I couldn't be the best. Because that, that, that takes hours. <laughs> That's uh, playing a Metroid game and, and getting the best ending where you get maybe under two hours. That's still two hours that you played. And It's not, uh, it's not like it's just planning, but it's like, okay, kind of just like manuscripts upon manuscripts of just like, okay, this is where everything's going to be planned out as far as going in. I mean, not only that, you, I've seen speedrunners to the point whatever, like, they just lock themselves in the room, like, okay, no one bother them for, like, even for a phone call. Yeah, so, these these people could write books with all of the knowledge they have. They wouldn't be very well-selling books, but, but they could, just the, the amount of knowledge that you have to have, and and then, even with that knowledge, the amount of execution you need to be able to do. The, the speedrun I saw, this guy actually made a couple of mistakes, and, you know, over over his 27 minutes of playing Metroid Zero Mission, he made two mistakes that cost him a little time. It was incredible. I, I could never be a player like that. That's just, that's far beyond anything that I can even comprehend. Oh, no. Speedrunning is an art for, well, it is an art for those who are very dedicated, but also for the insane, as I like to say. <laughs> I mean, not not to say that's a very derogatory term to anybody who's listening to this who's a speedrunner, but I feel as far as, like, you know, putting yourself through that kind of, like, torture to the point where, like, okay, I need to break this, I need to break this, but yet, even if you make the most minuscule of a mistake, it's still, I mean, for, like, it's under a microscope right now, I mean, it's that big. It's that big a mistake. Yeah. Um... So, um, back to, back to kind of like the differences we were talking about between Zero Mission and, and, uh, and the original. So the original ends with Mother Brain, right? That is, that is the ending. Uh, yes, the original was, uh, just, you beat Mother Brain and you, of course, go up the large, like, you know, vertical, sh- like a vertical shaft. And, sorry, that sounds very dirty when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, vertical as far as like, you know, with a time, li- like a five minute time limit to escape Zebes. Well, just the, like, the turning plant, and then once you get to the top, it's, you know, end of the game. Right. And in the case of, like, Zero Mission, though, is, um, you go through the whole spiel, whatever, like, uh, but, well, one big difference as far as the beginning of the game is, uh, you land, like, you'll, well, in Metroid 2, you're, uh, we were shown Samus as, like, you know, bounty, like, bounty hunting ship, whatever, like, for the first time. We never did see that in the first Metroid based on, like, you know, graphical limitations. Right. Whereas in Zero Mission, we do see that, whatever. I mean, we don't start out in that, but we do see a cutscene of it landing, and we, of course, you know, start in the beginning level, like, that we've known in First Metroid and Brinstar, you know, you go to the left, you get the morph ball, yada, 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 find and say, like, you know, destroy all Metroids. At the end, you get into the ship, and, I mean, going to this game, though, I knew, it was like, okay, there's going to be something new after the eventual defeat of Mother Brain. I mean, they weren't going to just basically, like, hey, here's this new little remake, you know, with a fresh cut of paint. They obviously were going to actually go an extra mile as far as, like, to put more for the bane for the buck for this title. You're in orbit as Zebus, I believe, and I believe at this point, you know, there's just a cutscene where Sam- Samus takes off her power suit, like, you know, her takes off her power suit, and she's revealed in, like, the zero, like her zero suit. 
at this point, she's shot down by space pirates. And the next third of the game, you have to go, like, you know, traverse through uh, an area called, like, Trezodia and, of course, the space pirate mothership, which, at the end, at the end of this game, whatever, I mean, sorry to get ahead of myself, when you actually do end this game, uh, if for anybody, like, you know, extreme players of Super Metroid, the area of the wrecked ship, that essentially is the area that you're in zero mission, like the, the space pirate mothership that you're in, because there's very subtle differences, like subtle nods to that area. Okay. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, I mean, the entire, like, well, through this game, which made it a little bit more memorable as far as, like, this other half was, you're playing this game as Samus with nothing more with just a pistol. You're without the power suit, and... It kind of goes through, like, a bit of a, like, you know, a middle of your, like, you know, a stealth, like, there's a lot of stealth aspects to this, whatever, where you're trying to evade, like, the space pirates. Now, of course, you can fight these things, but the pistol you have is meant to just not kill them, but to stun them, I guess, because it's not that very powerful. Yeah. But, um, it is an area I actually kind of liked a lot, a lot of, like, the little addition to it, as far as, because I was not only on my toes, but... A little bit as far as, like, you know, trying to conserve myself, like, okay, I'm just going to sneak, I'm not going to get bothers, like, shooting at these things, knowing as how fast they can chase me through doors. And here's the thing, you know when you play a Metroid game, whatever, when you go through different doors, okay, none of the enemies follow you. That's not the case in this one. They follow you. Space cards do follow you in this game. Yeah, if you like set off areas. the alarm, they're just going to, and they're pretty quick, too. Oh, yeah, they are. And, and at that point, whatever, where you don't have, like, a morphal to actually, you know, sneak and hide somewhere. I mean, at this point, you have to have Samus find, like, a little, like, crawl space to hide in for a little bit, wait it out, and go from there. And it's, it, it, it really was a bit of, like, a quite, a, like, a worthwhile experience going through it, because I was going into it thinking, like, okay, it's just going to be an extra area added before Mother Brain. I was pleasantly surprised when I was beating Mother Brain, when I beat Mother Brain, and I went into it. And lo and behold, I'm playing Samus, but without the abilities that I was with at to begin with. So that itself really made the experience a lot better for me. It's... It's kind of like they they Metroided Metroid a little bit, like at like the beginning of Prime, where you have all your stuff and you're you start the game and then you lose all of it. Like that's a very that that becomes like a lot of a very Metroid thing or, or something that other games do. But for them to <laughs> to do that to you at the end of the game, it <laughs> just kind of seems like a dick move. Oh, it's like oh yeah, did you like how we took away your items in certain Metroid games? Yeah, even though it got the game. Well, hey, here's your power suit gone. Here's a little pistol, actually, just like uh, stun enemies. But the payoff is pretty good because then you get the various suit, and and would you like to talk at, at all about the various suit? Uh, I believe the suit that you get the end. Uh, no, no, yeah, the suit at the end of your mission you do get is the gravity suit. Oh, is it called the gravity? I thought it was very yeah. The purple gravity suit. Okay. Throughout the game, you start with the regular power suit, and then you get the various suit probably later on, I think, after you beat, uh... Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Right, I think, unless... I don't know, like, uh, like all the other games uh, before the Prime Infusion series came out, I knew where every item was gonna be at, you know, I anticipated this one, I'm like, I always forget, it's just, I guess the placement for each one, it's like, 
I don't know. It's like, don't really display. It just doesn't latch on to me as far as much. But, uh, yeah, um, once you evade, you know, the mothership, you wind up into an area called Chozodia, which is, you know, the ruins of where the uh, Chozo probably, like, yeah, where the Chozo have resided on, on Zebus. And at the end of this, uh, what was it? Oh, I know, I, I keep forgetting, but it's like, there's this, like, hieroglyphics of, like, you know, the Chozo, but also of this warrior on there that bears a striking resemblance to Samus' power suit. Of course, it comes to life, and there's this giant orb, which has a reflection of yourself on there, and the test is not to shoot away from it, but also to shoot at the orb, not directly, but essentially, like, you're meant to avoid it, but if you keep shooting away, it, you're losing life, obviously, but it's meant to, like, you shoot at yourself as a test. That itself is, like, the end of it, and once you get into it, you get the gravity suit and all your other abilities that, which, by the way, forgot to mention this. Throughout the game, you're, obviously, for anybody who's played Metroid, you have these Chozo statues that give you these items. That There are also these other Chozo statues, different in design slightly, but they give you these unknown items. Now, these items, once you collect them, they're not compatible with your suit early on, and it's not until once you complete this test that all these different abilities are on there, which include, you know, the gravity suit, I believe the plasma or free, yeah, that yep. has a plasma beam, the screw attack, all these, like, you know, famous, like, all these, like, you know, renowned, like, you know, Metroid items that, you know, everybody's known and loved, you know, come back to you. And after that, you go through back the space pirate mothership, and, you know, battle through that, and I believe, yeah, you battle this, I think, this uh, earlier version of Meta Ridley that you fight in Metroid Prime, but, well, actually, no, it is actually a different version itself mechanicalized Ridley that you fight in fairly easy final boss battle, even on, like, hard mode, and after that, it's a set of, like, self-destruct sequence, and you get to the end of the level, whatever, of course, you don't have Samus' ship, whatever, anymore, since it's destroyed, and you have to use one of the space products, like a ship, which, by the way, (laughs) I'm sorry I'm describing this right now on there, but the space pirate ships on there, of course, they have the capsule on there, but, like, the capsule as far as, like, the control panel, well, well, the cockpit for to actually write it, but for some ungodly reason, it has a tail, so once you see it writing out of, like, the shaft, it, like, just, <laughs> it looks like a sperm. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> Even first playing that, I thought that was one of the worst designs <laughs> of Once it just starts going through, I'm like... Are you serious? <laughs> I, I wonder if that even entered into their minds as they were making it. I, I can't believe that it would have. It's not just that, but the tail was wagging. I'm like, <laughs> why? And I'm thinking, like, is there going to be a spherical, like a, like a like large sphere that this thing's going to crash into? And then it's like, life, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> But no, like, those a little different, like, those main changes as far as, like, to, you know, differentiate, like, this game from being, like, okay, just a remake of the first cut of paint, but with something, like, you know, detailing, like, what actually happened as far as, like, after Samus, after Mother Brain. These are things I liked about as far as, like, you know, giving this, like, game as far as, like, okay, we just can't, like, remake this game with, like, you know, new little bosses, new little areas, and, like, you know, redesign bosses. We have to add something new to it, I don't know. Obviously, new areas were to it, but, I mean, I relate the aspect to the point, like, 
okay, you put this new gameplay mechanic of how to control Samus, you know, and as fun as it is, uh, it was it, it was just something else actually to flesh our own story that I really liked a lot. I mean, that itself is like, I really wish they could, I, I hope one day, I, I, I mean, I hope and pray they do one day for like, you know, for Metroid 2. Yeah, that would be really cool. It would. I mean, I, I would love to see, I mean, obviously, like, Metroid 2 right now is available on like the 3DS like virtual console, but I would really like to see like a, a new remake for it or whatever. I mean, you know, up like redefine like refine like the gameplay mechanics for whatever that were kind of make the game a little bit more outdated and a little bit sluggish, but also just make it like a bit of that paint like that uh, idea that uh well that you know, mechanics that you had with Zero Mission and I feel like that would sell a lot little a lot more. I mean, it would just get more people to realize, hey, this is a forgotten Metroid game that people like you know tend to like you know overlook. Yeah. Definitely. I, I feel like that one is the most overlooked Metroid game. Um, and and it'll definitely get its own show once I finally get around to playing it and and enjoying its majesty. Um, once I once I get converted to, to a Metroid fan. You know, it, it may not be the best one to start out with, whatever, but I, I guarantee you, whatever, once you get past that as far as, like, you know, uh, with the first Metroid, you know, trying to traverse yourself through these different areas and you're knowing, like, okay, I don't really know where I'm going. I'm going, you know, in circles. But once you get into Metroid 2, obviously slower, but also introducing new things for the series, it's nice. And then the payoff works once you get to Super Metroid and you realize the grand majesty of the series, what it was trying to accomplish. Which, of course, was, you know, a game can be very, I mean, a game itself is like an well, an action game of that like caliber can be very fun with, you know, with backtracking in even with like a no other like a secondary protagonist actually due to like you know to latch onto. I mean, it's just yourself that itself will come before once a game came out. Like it just came for full circle as far as like a game like okay, I get this now. I get this once you get Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I got a question for you. So, so with this being, with Zero Mission being the remake, are are they, are the maps perfectly similar? Are all the items and all that? It's just, uh, I'm trying to figure out how I would how I would put this. Like, if they were, if you had these maps on a grid, um, or is does everything line up, or or did they actually change map things between uh, Metroid and, and Zero Mission? What I can, like, you know, muster up, whatever, yes, there are similar, like, as far as length, I would, yeah, as far as length, and as far as, uh, like, you know, like the corridors and where everything's matched up, yes, but, of course, aside from the area after Mothering, they added new other doors and areas to go through as well, so, I guess for, it was more of a way to actually, you know, throw, but, like, you know, throw a bit of a, like, a left turn, like, a, a you know, Hardcore Metroid players, like, you know, NAS Metroid players to actually play on there. But uh, no, it, like, I did say, like, oh, they do match up, but yeah, there's certain things, that, like, okay, it's very similar, very similar, but there are new areas as far as, like, you know, bosses and, you know, boss rooms. So. Alright, so you couldn't use, like, a, a zero mission walkthrough to, to beat the original Metroid or vice versa? No, no, okay. not, I would not recommend that, too. <laughs> I, I, I personally would not. But I, I think the one area I think that does match up really well is uh, Turian, the last level that has a member of Mother Brain. That, I think, was the one that was as out of the uh, 
major in between uh, Norfair, Brinstar, and Materia that were did not uh, that were remained unchanged. Okay. Um, so, do you still believe that uh, that Super Metroid is the best Metroid out there? Um, in terms of two D, yes, I do that. But that's not to actually knock down Zero Mission. Zero Mission to me is probably one of my favorite handheld titles to the state, and that's no slouch against the Fusion. Mm-hmm. I like Metroid does. Zero Mission really kind of gave me a lot more to like. What I enjoyed in Super Metroid was that that ability of being alone and not really being told where to go. I mean, again, not to dig up so much in Fusion was, it just, Fusion was a nice return to what made Metroid great in the 2D perspective as far as when it came to exploration, but it just felt very, it felt very linear in Fusion, whereas in um, Zero Mission, yeah, there's like where you had those points where you had the Chozo statues which you would roll to a more ball mode, and it would point you to an area where you would go, but it would not necessarily map everything out for you. It would just like, hey, this is the part of the map where the next objective is, so you have to find it out yourself how to get there. Whereas in Fusion, it kind of laid out a nice little map for you. Mm-hmm. But I digress on that. It just... Um, Metroid itself, like the Super Metroid itself, was just the epitome as far as, like, you know, exploration and action. It combined it so well, but didn't really break the... I mean, it, but yet it broke the boundaries as far as, like, how a game could be made. And not only that, its soundtrack was so, so good. I mean, I, I mean, there were times where, I mean, if I even get bored, I'll look up YouTube clips of the soundtrack just to listen while I'm, like, doing my own, like, writing or work. And... But it's... It, it, it's hard for me actually to you know put in order as far as my favorite Metroid because it's been a constant battle between Super Metroid and Metroid Prime as far as my favorite games in the series, and even for my favorite game of all time, those two games battle out even between Half Life Two. <laughs> but it's the one thing. I mean, another thing to take away for Zero Mission was it's just I felt like it was a cleaner experience. I mean, a cleaner experience that Fusion had. Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with that. Like it's having that kind of that that remake of the original that you're you're kind of starting out and it kind of feels more it feels traditional where where fusion tried to go out and and do some different things and innovate a little bit that that, that was kind of that zero mission feels comfortable if you've played metro games before it does one thing also to add as far as that I feel like is zero mission shortcoming is um, it with the map system on there to help guide you, it does actually, you know, relate a flaw to the game, which, how short it is. Because this is a game that you can actually beat in a really good a good setting about maybe four or five hours or so, if you tried hard. Mm-hmm. Fusion, I think, so, yeah, Fusion did suffer in that same kind of, like, way as far as, like, uh, the length, because, uh, yeah, it is a game that you complete about six, seven hours or so, but in the case of this one, I really do. I mean, the extra areas are nice, but I really wish they would have added something more, another area to whatever, just to, but that's me being greedy. <laughs> um, Alright, so why don't we talk a little bit about the legacy of Zero Mission, which kind of gets into the legacy of, of the rest of the Metroid series. You you mentioned much earlier in the show that um, this is kind of during this big Metroid boom that, that we had um, during the, the GBA and, and GameCube eras, at least. 
uh, where we got we got Fusion and Prime at the same time. Then we got Zero Mission. We got Prime Two. Uh, then even with the Wii, we were still kind of riding that high with Prime Three. Uh, and then it kind of started to die out a little bit once we got to, to Other M. And and I think part of that is just Other M wasn't a really great game. Am I am I right in saying that? Well, I'm the one of the few people that actually did not... Well, let me explain my short sayings on Other M. In general, it was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity as far as, like, you know, when it came to storytelling and as far as to fleshing out Samus' backstory. I mean, I really did find the attacks against Samus' voice actor kind of really unclassy as far as that. I mean, well, looking at her, I felt like her voice fit. It just mattered as far as, like, her delivery just did not do as well. And that, you're just going off, you know, Sakamoto's script. And I think the difference between that as far as, I feel like the people at Retro Studios, the guys who took out the Prime series, could tell even a better story than what Sakamoto could do. I mean... The story in Other Man just felt very too Jap- like a Japanese anime that you just really just didn't care much about. And that, I think what they wanted to cater as far as this game was, because uh, Metroid, the series itself, is not that big in Japan. The series is only big in North America and Europe. And I think what they wanted to actually recapture, though, with this one was, obviously the game was, uh, you know, you it was a 3D t- game, but... You, there was instances where you were on a 2D plane as well, like, you know, with controlling Samus. I think what they wanted to do was, you know, recapture that as far as those Japanese gamers that remembered the old Metroid title, because I feel like even after that, they forgot all these other games existed. And that, it's, it's an intro sequence, whatever. I mean, uh, when you were just using just a regular Wiimote, like, held horizontally, like, well, held horizontally just control Samus, which... I felt like that was one of its shortcomings, like, big shortcomings there was, like, its control scheme. I felt like it's something that actually could have benefited with a Wiimote and a a Nunchuck. Mm -hmm. And I think at that point, that's, I wouldn't say, I'm not saying this did not kill the Metroid franchise. I think this just showed to Nintendo that, like, we may need to rework the series to actually, you know, get it itself as far as that big push in sales numbers. I mean... The, the, the four other M, the Metroid series has been known to actually, you know, score very well critically, like, with uh, critically with, like, you know, different reviewing sites, like, video game journalism sites. It just, as far as sales, it never really took off. It never really got those Zelda or Mario numbers that Nintendo really wanted. I mean, it was what I like to call a cursed franchise, you know, a series that actually, it's had so many of these very good titles that nobody notices it. Nobody, as far as like like outside the hardcore gamer, really knows this is the game, and but but but, but back onto the whole legacy of you know Zero Mission is um, I I thought this would usher in you know a long herald of a line of like you know two D like new two D Metroid titles. That wasn't really the case at all. I mean, it just I think at this point it really wanted to focus more and far in like you know branching out Metroid's. Uh, you know, expansion as far as into, like, home console gaming. And I, I don't, I don't like, you know, egg them on to that. It just, at this point, I think like, the 2D Metro games got lost in the transition. Well, to your point, I feel like Metroid is kind of a, I guess the term would be something like a, a blue-collar franchise where, where it really has to earn its sales at, by making good games. And and traditionally, they have they've done very well, but... 
for something like Other M that that might not have lived up to the the legacy of the previous games, uh, that one didn't sell as well, and it also didn't have the push of of awesome new hardware stuff. So like uh, like Fusion got got good numbers because the Game Boy Advance was really big, and even Metroid Prime Hunters for the DS did really well because it was kind of the only game of its genre uh, for the DS at that time, and it came out really early. Yeah, Prime did well at the time. I mean, I think it was like one of its. Uh, when you look at like top ten like selling GameCube titles, that's prominently like listed like eight or nine or so. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, probably like maybe ten if I can think about it. But one reason why it sold sold so well is like a very aggressive like ad campaign that Nintendo did. And one reason I think a lot of people, few people, some people actually bought more than usual on there because this was in the time about a year after you know the Halo hype. And uh, this, of course, was about two years before, like, Halo 2 came out. And this time, people were buying just Xboxes, whatever, just for Halo. And I remember during certain, like, news reports that people would misinterpret this Metroid Prime game. It's like, oh, well, this is Nintendo's Halo, which I would just cringe. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not it. But even so, this was this was really the GameCube's only interesting first-person shooter, at least. Like, GameCube stuff, uh, just from my own experience, um, I don't remember playing that many first-person shooters on a GameCube. I I think I played a couple of James Bond games that were awful, as as most James Bond games are, that aren't called GoldenEye. There um, there were good ones on there. I mean, the ones I can actually think of, well, one thing is good, but I mean, 13 was decent, but uh, one that I actually think was really good was uh, Time Splitters 2. Okay. But but those were also games that were on other consoles. There was. I mean, just to say, like, uh, it was a, not saying, like, as far as exclusives, but as far as, like, uh, multi-platform games on there, a game like that could, it worked on there. I mean, it's not like today where you have a first-person shooter port to the Wii, which is just garbage, so. Mm. God, man, I, I'd forgot all, forgotten all about 13. I loved that game. That was such a cool art style. Really good. I mean, good voice uh, voice talent they actually put on there, and now it's actually, uh, I believe, a TV series right now. Really? I didn't yeah. even know that. That's yeah. awesome. With the same art style? No, no, not that. It's just like a live-action TV style based on the com- the comics. Hmm. That, that could be interesting, but uh, the, the game really sold me with its art style. I think that would have been awesome if they had continued that. Yeah. Um, I remember when uh, Cell Shading was like really the big hit at the point, whatever. I think it was like Roger when Wind Waker hit, and... Uh, after they realized, oh, wow, we actually could do something well with this, and more and more people actually jumped onto it. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to... I mean, what, what do you think's next for the Metroid series? I haven't heard anything about another Metroid game since since Other M came out. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm assuming we'll probably get one eventually for the Wii U. Um, I haven't heard anything about a 3DS one, but that could be cool, especially if they... If they wanted to try another 2D one, I think that'd be a good spot for it. Or if they even wanted to try making a sequel to Hunters, that that might be cool too. I would hold back on the Hunters, uh, like as far as I mean, I know that there's a certain audience out there that really enjoyed that. I mean, me, I was a little bit mixed on it because I just felt like it tried too hard to be a first-person shooter. I mean, as far as like you know, well. Yeah, I, I felt like it. Yeah, it, it felt like it was trying really too hard as far as to being like a linear first-person shooter, and I felt like you know this is something that Metroid's trying to be that it's not. Same way I felt like Other M was like trying to be something that it wasn't. It was not as far as like oh, 
I want to be a 2D game, oh, I want to be a 3D game, or as far as his perspective, it just, it was getting very, very, like, confusing as far as, like, what to actually, you know, classify it as. So, so it's bad that Hunters is my favorite Metroid game? No, 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 no. <laughs> I would actually look down if somebody said, like, yeah, my favorite Metroid game is Metroid Pinball. I'm like, where the hell are you? <laughs> Metroid Prime Pinball. Get Prime Pinball. Yeah, uh-huh. I, was, I, I would look down at people in that, I'm like, really need to get out more right now. But, yeah. um, as far as the future of the series, um, like I mentioned, uh, after Other M, I think Nintendo, I mean, for a while, I was really scared that Nintendo was actually putting the series back on the shelf for a while because they had, well, I felt like they had just exhausted its potential to the point where, like, okay, we can't really push the series to, you know, getting to its, you know, fina- to a financial success. I mean, we've got the series to a critical success, but how are we going to get this to, you know, sell game customers? And... I think they tried so hard, and I think, like, you know, Other M was supposed to be their ace in the hole to not only lure the main, like, just not only just the Wii, regular Wii audience, but also those who were not very unfamiliar with the Metroid series, but also those who were familiar with the Ninja Gaiden series, actually, you know, with the Team Ninja name. And I, it's, it's really hard to me to actually see what's going in, I mean, uh, going on. I mean, Retro Studios, the guys who, like, Retro Studios, the who are behind, like, you know, the wonderful Prime trilogy, uh, they're working on some, like, a new, like, something right now, but we, at this point, it's, anybody's guess as good as, well, your guess as good as mine, as far as, like, okay, could they be working on it? Is, like, a new Metroid title, or something that Nintendo handed on to them, or a new original title? Um, but if I really had to put my money on it, I would have to say that it would be a 3DS title. I think that they could probably see themselves, like, going back to, uh, quasi, like, you know, 2D, 3D title, whatever, or maybe borrow what, you know, for instance, Shadow Complex did. You mm-hmm. know, do something with, like, 3D environments, but in a 2D perspective. I think they actually could do something as far as, like, putting that whole ideal as far as pushing the series forward. I mean, but as far as, like, you know, suggestions, uh, keep the backtracking. One thing that really got me annoyed as far as, like, when later Prime titles came out was... One thing that they, like, a couple of reviewers I've read and just maybe kind of questioned them and realized have you ever really played a Metroid title was uh, the thing that they got negative, like, were very negative about it was the backtracking. I'm like, that's part of the Metroid universe, though. I mean, this is not a first person shooter, it's supposed to be non linear. You're supposed to go from different areas from one or not. Once you get this new ability or this new item, it's meant to actually, oh, wow, I'm. I now have this to go to a different area, or I can use it to open door. I mean, I want that to be returned in full effect, but also without the whole hand-holding aspect of, like, okay, if you're lost so much, here's a different area that you need to go to, here's your objective. I didn't mind that so much in Prime, like, the first Prime when they introduced that, because it was, like I said, it was introduced more as far as, like, you know, when you did not know what you were supposed to do for, like, 20 or 30 or even to an hour or so, like, a what you weren't supposed to do, but that's in, you know, flesh out Samus' story a little bit more, but, you know, have a good script around it. I mean, but when it comes to 3D Metroids, I, I mean, I, I, I'm still dead set on the whole idea, like, you know, the whole first-person perspective is, like, the only thing actually is going to fit best with the series, so, um, 
I just feel like they wouldn't be able to change with that because I feel like with a, a third-person perspective, you're going to deal with, like, you know, camera issues and polygon, polygon counts and how, as far as, like, because I think what they wanted to go off was, like, okay, if Zelda could be in 3D, it could do this. Thing is, Zelda works in its own little realm as far as, like, when it comes to a targeting system, whereas in Metroid, you have so many different third-person shooters, like, third-person, like, perspective shooters that have lived and died by the camera angle. Right. And I... I fully expect the Metroid series maybe to hear something probably next year or so. This is just my gut feeling, but I really, really, I mean, it would make me sad inside to actually see the series be, like, shelved for probably another, the same link we got from between Super Metroid and Metroid Prime Fusion. I mean, I, I just couldn't bear that. I mean, it's just, to me, it's a series I like not only because of its gameplay, but also for its story. Like, I, I love its backstory, even though it's not from its original games, it's not really told that well, but just even, like, from, like, uh, official canon magnas or, uh, player guides or anything like that, it's, it's stuff like that, and plus, I'm just fascinated by the, the character Samus. I mean, obviously, you have all these feminine, feminine characters that have, like, brought gaming to the fold, but Samus was one of those first few characters that did that, but also, one that you could just, you look at, and you're like, I want to learn more about this character. I mean, Other M gave you that a little bit, but just not as much as that you wanted to see it. Sure, yeah. And, and I, I I just hope that, that Other M didn't scare off Nintendo from making more Metroid games. Um, I, it's, it, uh, it's never been a series that I've really had a whole lot of uh, experience with, or even I've really cared a whole lot about. I, but I, it's a series that I've respected a lot, and it's it's one that has always carried interest, even though I've I've never really uh, gone in on that interest and actually played many of the games. Yeah, you, um, you respect it. You, you respect it in the sense, like you know, like, as far as like you know, being a people like this video game series, but also the fact like it has its place in history. Yeah, I, I'd be really sad to see. Metro or see Samus become like just a, like a like the ice climbers for for Smash Brothers that like oh yeah I remember those guys a long time ago on the one game that they had or uh, or something like Captain Falcon where yeah you know F Zero was cool and they stopped making those games because you know they just didn't sell that well but it's it's kind of like a I I don't want I don't want Samus to be part of Nintendo's history. Well, I don't want Samus to only be part of Nintendo's history. I want it to be want her to be part of uh, their future too. Yeah, it just feels like a little bit bipolar bipolarism from like Nintendo. It's like you know when you hear its characters, like Samus is featured prominently as far as like their cast of characters, even if they're with Kirby and even Star Fox or Link and Mario. It's just as far as like when it comes to sales and marketing, it's just like they never really push it out that much. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if it if it's cool with you though, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed for a Star Fox game before I before I start thinking about a another uh, Metroid game. I'm in favor of actually rebooting that series right now. I mean, it's the point where after the few missteps it's had in like the past games between uh, well. Star Fox Command wasn't that too bad in the DS, but between Assault and Adventures and, well, with the release of, like, uh, Star Fox 64 3D on the 3DS, I think this was, like, Nintendo's message to say, like, okay, let's reintroduce some of these people who have never really played this game before, but 
I think that this would be the right time to actually, you know, either reboot the series or just start with a new different kind of, like, storyline as far as the Star Fox team. Because one thing they need to actually learn to do this series is, like, okay, do not take this character out of the cockpit of this, like the, of this R-Wing. This is where things go very bad. I mean, <laughs> on, on-rail shooters are not meant to be in third person, like, you know, in control, like, a concept. Keep these things settled into where they originally far are to, to be and go from there. Do from different mechanics as far as levels, and you'll 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 be going. Well, but I mean, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that being rebooted first. But yeah, I, I've just always been a, a Star Fox fan, um, and I'd love to see. Like, even when we were talking originally about uh, those games that uh, never made it over to the GBA, our SNES ports that never made it over to the GBA, uh, Star Fox is is definitely one of those with all that 3D style. Uh, mode 7 stuff that they were pulling with that that's just that was uh, impossible to recreate on a GBA I'm glad they didn't because it would have been terrible well um, not, not only that that's a game that has not been released in the virtual console still 64 Star Fox 64 has but the original Star Fox has well I mean reason being I think the original game is not uh, no longer canon anymore I mean as far as it comes to the story I think what they because Star Fox 64 was essentially just a reboot, like, you know, a remake of the original game. Right. And whereas, like, the canceled Star Fox 2 and the, the SNES uh, never made the light of day as far as, like, it was almost done, but, I mean, uh, it was continuing on as far as the story on that one. Plus, I think, what was it, Shigeru Miyamoto wanted actually a clean uh, slate of games between 2D games and the, the SNES and 64, so that's why they canceled Star Fox 2. Right. A clean break. And a lot of that stuff actually went into to making Star Fox Command for the DS. Uh, a lot of that Star Fox 2 stuff. I think uh, storyline and a lot of the, the maps and missions are are very similar uh, between those two. Oh yeah, there was a lot of that and I think uh, a lot of the Landmaster stuff, like, you know, the Landmaster stuff, whatever got into 64, that was supposed to be prominent too as well. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see is all this stuff that, a game that i when I was a kid, I was excited to get ready to see release, but, I mean, it was interesting when you're growing up a little bit and realize, oh, wow, all this stuff got carried over from uh, 2064. I'm like, you know, you, you see those little differences, you see those little cha- those changes to the point where you're like, oh, wow, now I see why they did this. Yeah. Um, all right, well, I think we're kind of we're wrapping up here. Did we, did we neglect to mention anything about Metroid Zero Mission or the, or the Metroid handheld series of games um, you caught? Anything that needs to be mentioned? I think the only thing I forgot to neglect was the fact that this, uh, if you own a Game Boy Advance, please pick this game up. I think that's, this is a game that really should be in your collection as far, I mean, uh, but I mean, I know you're going to be talking about Fusion later on in a different show, but also, you know, pick that up as well. I mean, I mean, as far as the two, Zero Mission to me is the more cleaner experience to me, uh, and just one that takes what Fusion like implemented as far as the 2D experience, but brought back to what made Metroid very classic. Yeah, and if you're a, a 3DS ambassador like I am, uh, then you already have Fusion, uh, so that's a great way to play that. Oh, um, you lucky SOP! I mean, <laughs> this is when the 3DS got first announced. I was excited, and then when the price and I found out what the battery life was, I was like, "Yeah, I'm skipping out on this one." and after the very slow start, like, really slow start as far as sales, like, worldwide, I was still even very skeptical. 
But then once they announced that amb- the price drop and the ambassador program, I'm like, should I do this now or? But the thing that still scared me off was that battery life. That was it. But thankfully, the XL came out, and I'm hopefully probably either by this Christmas or after that, I will finally pick that up. Nice. Well, like, if if you do, let me let me please recommend Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Shadow Wars. Uh, because that is a game that a lot of people missed and was the best launch game for the 3DS, easily. Yeah, especially for a launch that's been known to be really, really, like, really bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was tough being a 3DS owner there for a little while. I feel pretty good now, though. I've got my, my Super Mario 3D Land, and today uh, Super Mario, uh, or Paper Mario Sticker Star came out, and I downloaded that. Um, so there's there's a lot of good stuff on there now. This is the game that I want to buy for that right now. It was like that led me over was uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star. So uh, that might be my, my first little purchase there. I haven't played any of it yet. I'm going to wait until the uh, the Thanksgiving break to, to really give that game all I have. Um, but hopefully, if it if I'm really enjoying it, it'll, it'll deserve its own show at some time. Because I, I haven't done anything that new yet. I think the newest, newest, fran- news, uh, newest game I did was... Uh, well, I guess Infinity Blade uh, for the last podcast, um, but I'd really like to do something for 3DS. Um, that being said, I don't really know what the next show is going to be. It depends on on the guest I can get. I've got a couple different options, um, but I'll leave that up to leave that up to chance and see what happens. But I'll make sure to mention it so people can can write in. Uh, Harrison, would you like to give any plugs before uh, before we sign out? Uh, yes. Um, well. As you know, at the beginning of the show, I currently write for a website called uh, Infendo.com. You know, tagline was, uh, you know, intelligent passion for all things Nintendo. Um, the website is uh, Infendo, I-N-F-E-N-D-O.com. And uh, I participate, well, participate in a, uh, Infendo Radio, which is a weekly podcast on there with me and a couple of my other friends, uh, Eugene and Scott, up at uh, the uh, Love the other like writers in Nintendo. Small little startup site. I just started working there. Uh, well, volunteer writing because I worked there for Peanuts. Because anybody who knows when you write for online websites, you know from telecommute, you're essentially working for Peanuts. <laughs> they tell you differently. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been working there since March and been podcasting since around early late April, about mm, late April or so. But uh been doing that, but um, also, I mean, I did currently work for uh, GameShoot.net, but currently right now, the site has been shut down, and we haven't been doing any podcasting duties, but hopefully, uh, my friend and cohort, Alex Deckard, who is our editor-in-chief at GameShoot, we've been trying hard to actually get this podcast started out as a podcast-only website, so kind of the same route I think we're doing right now with uh, Gamers in the Go, just a podcast-only Tumblr website, so... Yep. Uh, and I feel like that'd be the only way to go because there are times where I've been doing the podcast and I just get exhausted doing that, especially with other stuff I'm doing, like, you know, freelancing for freelancing for other papers or um, just working my part-time job. And I'm like, I don't feel like writing a short two-paragraph story for, like, the site right now about games. And I got to that point, like, can somebody else write this up? But, you know, that, that that's the life of a vlogger right now. I mean, you, you just got to keep yourself, uh, you got to keep yourself as far as, like, you know, up to as far as dating traffic to actually get your, you know, readers to have very interested, but podcasting itself, you know, keeps them interested as far as, like, really quickly, but, I mean, it's one thing that I've been, for as much as I've been doing it for, like, the last 
three, four years. It's one of the things I actually love doing, you know, week in and week out. I mean, especially about games. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, to the to your point about just the podcasting podcasting only. I'd I'd love to do some post stuff and do some actual text for for gamers on the go. But but one, I I'm still in school right now. Uh, I'm not for very much longer, but. Uh, I just don't really have the time to put that in. And then, two, anything that I feel like I would post, I, I feel like is potential um, potential stuff for a podcast. And and I'd hate to take away some information that I would be able to share on a podcast later uh, and have to repurpose it. I feel so. like it'd be redundant or even monotonous sometimes. Yeah, definitely. It's like, oh, wow, you just read it. I'm like, what else could actually el- – I mean, obviously there's the point to elaborate and go deeper on it whenever – what uh, somebody who's read it, uh, like, well, obviously from somebody who's read it, um, you know, what else can they get from that? I mean, that, that, that itself, when you can actually, when you look from a podcast, you're delving a little bit more deeper, but it's a fact like, you know, why else just write up about it right now? I mean, it's just a short little write-up, but, um, I mean, being the case, it's just, it's, it's, it's just hard to run a website when you actually have, like, you know, for me, when it's, like, three other people and you're trying to, when we have our own little daytime jobs and, you know, significant others to take care of. It's hard to actually just put stuff out on there or whatever and get everybody together to do a podcast. I mean, that's one thing I found very frustrating trying to do a podcast for Up in Findo is uh, each of our members, like the people that we co-host with, we live in different time zones, so <laughs> it's very, like, anytime when we're like, okay, we're ready to do this podcast for Thursday at, uh, like, oh, what time? Like, oh, six, six o'clock, like, what time? Like, oh, six central. Does that work? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's bad because someone lives on the Pacific coast or the East coast and everything gets switched up and they say, no, it just can't, you know, uh, I know that all too well. Uh, my other podcast, uh, world eight started out. All four of us were here in Missouri and, uh, and we could just meet on any given Sunday to, to do a podcast. And now we've got one guy, we've got one guy in Kansas city. Uh, so that's the same time zone. But it can it can make some changes, and then we have one guy who now is out in California, so we always have to have that two hour time difference. And uh, and yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from on that. That is a that's a real bitch. Uh, oh no, it, it, it's especially frustrating because like the last few episodes that we've been doing on Nintendo Radio was uh, like the the two episodes that we did ago was uh, we interviewed, we interviewed one of the uh, editors. Well, main members of the uh, Pure Nintendo Magazine Kickstarter, which I'm not sure if you heard about, whatever, it was a Kickstarter that just recently passed about a couple weeks ago, and it was a, basically, it was a, from a site from Pure Nintendo, they wanted to recreate a bi-monthly magazine, you know, to re- replace uh, Nintendo Power. Right. And uh, for a while, like, we, we got the guy on there, or whatever, to interview, but the um, thing is, we had three separate attempts to get him on there. I mean, we had him already, but our other co-host didn't show up. And the thing is, I did not know how to record a podcast properly. And he had the right materials and app, like applications. So I was like, I'm sitting there just BSing with this guy, whatever, for a while, whatever, that I, you know, a very interesting guy, whatever. I mean, that's the thing, I like, just texting away, whatever, like, you know, put an instant message. And the next thing you know, it's like, I have to interview right now in about a like, few minutes. I'm like, uh, and I just feel so bad just having to, you know, force him back out of his time, you know, with his family and his job, like, you know, I'm sorry for this interview or whatever, but luckily when we got it, you know, his Kickstarter got funded about three days later, so, you know, I'm 
happy that you know we played a small part in that. Definitely. Well, very cool. Um, for for anybody who's interested, you can contact Gamers on the Go to talk about talk about Metroid Zero Mission and give your thoughts. Uh, any of our previous shows, uh, we did uh, episode eight was about uh, was about uh, Infinity Blade with Corey Motley, and episode seven was about uh, Professor Layton with Evan Killam. Um, like I said, I don't know what the next show is going to be, but maybe you could give me a suggestion on what you'd like to hear about. Uh, you can contact us at gotgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, the Twitter is gotgpodcast and facebook.com slash you guessed it gotgpodcast. Um, Harrison, I'd like to thank you uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's a very, very honor actually uh, to be on here and just not only that, just to reminisce about, you know, the Metroid series as well. And plus, I, a fantastic show you have on here. I mean, from the episodes I've listened to that uh, before this interview, like, you know, before this podcast episode has been recorded, you know, you've got a very nice affinity for, you know, both, like, podcast and recording, but also just uh, know-how is, like, very unique podcast. Well, that is very nice of you to say. I really appreciate that. Um, maybe I can get you on again sometime. I know that you uh, you wrote an article on Infendo about the e-reader. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is uh, another one of those stupid Nintendo attempts at uh, at making a thing. Thing, yeah, it's like <laughs> made a thing. Oh, and another one of those failed uh, attempts to to connect uh, the GBA with the GameCube. God, I was all over that thing, but uh, but <laughs> maybe that could be another show another time. Well, I know we got that, and uh, what else is uh, you want me to be on here for Virtual Boy? Which Hell we- yeah. That would be one anticipated show there. I think that would be, we need to actually get a good group of people on there asking me questions like, what was it like? What was it like? like, uh, my eyes. (laughs) I think that's really all you can talk about with with the Virtual Boys. How badly did that game fry your eyes? Or how badly did this one? Well, it was probably all about the same, because damn infrared. Uh, Was it worth it? Oh, it was worth a few five minutes of enjoyment. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you again, Harrison, for coming on. And uh, for the rest of you, we'll try to come up with another show uh, in in some semblance of time. Uh, but I'm not exactly sure when it'll be. But probably after some, well, definitely after the Thanksgiving break, uh, but hopefully not too far after that. So we'll talk to you guys soon.